Welcome to South London Hardcore. Uh, said that for a while, Steve. Both been on holiday. Steve Walsh here. Hello. I'm Jack McEnroe. Uh, and we're recording in sunny Eltham. Beautiful Eltham. Yeah, we are uh, in episode four and, and at other times. We said uh, we didn't like Elton very much. On and off, yeah. We've been quite consistent, yeah. haven't we? Um, even Louis Peckham talks about annex in it from South London. <laughs> That's not the right word, is it's it? not the word, is it? Um be like exiling, but doing it for a place. Just chopping it off, basically, and letting it uh, flow away. But what we thought we'd do is we'd do an episode on Elton. We'd come here, uh, and we won't talk about Stephen Lawrence being murdered. And we won't talk about the time I got spat on on the bus for in a possibly racially motivated attack, which you can read about Natty Roots on our website, little series I'm writing. One entry so far. So we're going to try and focus on the, the positives of Elton and talk about one of South London's most famous sons, Mr Bob Hope. So we're recording in my sister's uh, garden, which is in New Elton, right? Steve's got a pims there. We've both got coffee. He made me have the cup that had the Queen on it. <laughs> I've and, got, uh, you know, uh, my a selection of snacks. So thanks, Anna. Which oh, actually, my means, cup says Misses on it. So you know, but that's more acceptable to me. Which also means, Steve, that this episode is brought to you by Cherry Electrical. If you need any electrical testing or inspection done, domestic or commercial work, call Cherry Electrical. Oh seven seven oh nine three two nine four three one. That's oh seven seven oh nine three two nine four three one. Email them Cherry Electrical at rocketmail.com no job too big or small that's not true unless well I think that's what you said last time right? no job yeah. too, unless that job is too big or too small exactly in which case so operating out of the Eltham area anywhere in the south east of London a little bit of Kent as well Bexley I've been here a few times Steve because I have to come to my uh, sister's house on a regular basis this is your first time ever in Eltham is it in Eltham proper my um, aunt and my cousins and my uncle used to live down in Mottingham Oh, that's so like next door to this, yeah. yeah Between yeah. New, it's like next to New Elton. Yeah, but I never, you know, we'd never, we'd literally go to their house, yeah, and then go home. We'd never go out around there and sort of like, oh, just pop into New Elton. Never even knew there was New Elton. So. And uh, so, what's your impression of it, Steve? Walking around the place, it's uh, really nice, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, um, it's, you, you feel like you're in Kent. I mean, you're not far yeah. off Kent. But... It's a very villagey feel to it. Mm. You sort of walk walking down. Uh, we got the bus from Woolwich down here, and just walking through, um, they look like cottages. I was saying to you, there's one particular row uh, that comes up to a roundabout, and you could you could imagine that roundabout being the village green and all the, the sort of houses around it and a row of shops and, and whatnot. No, so it's got a real sort of rural feel to it. I mean, just walking down here as well as we got off the bus, there's this patch of uh, just wildland, isn't it? Yeah, we'll buy Footscray uh, Rugby Club. Yeah, there's, it's just, I mean, if you look that direction over there, Steve, if you kind of went out the back gate, you're just walking into a field. Yeah. And then walking and walking in a field. And when we were up by Elton Palace, we sort of walked down the sort of side roads. You spotted some jumps, and then the field next to it, there's half a dozen horses. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of almost rural, isn't it? Yeah. We were, I suppose we are on the edges, aren't we? That's why. Yeah, absolutely. We're right on the edge of... Uh, I mean, we're still C- in civilization. Yeah. <laughs> we're in the borough of Greenwich, so we're not. It's, you know, we're not in Kent. We're most no, definitely we're still legitimately in still South London. Yeah. it's fine. It's the SE postcode, so we're all good, man. Elm itself comes out of uh, its very specific geographical location. As we're walking up the road towards Elton Palace, I said to you that the sort of hill and the slope mm. was interesting in itself, and that was that sort of hill and slope has defined the whole history of the area. It was because of this plateau. 
that it's built upon that it became a good strategic location for a palace or a castle because it would obviously dominate the surrounding area and would allow itself to be defensible from attack. So that's where Alton Palace was placed where it was at this on this sort of plateau. And then also you've also got this other thing where the, the, the channel port roads pass by. As you said, as we were walking down, like these roads lead directly into Kent, which lead directly down to Dover. So you've got the sort of accessibility of the ports and this position that's perfect for a palace. So Alton Palace is built but it's never as popular as the nearby Greenwich Palace with the Rolls. Because Greenwich Palace is on the Thames, it's much more directly accessible. Mm. So this became a sort of supplementary palace. Spare palace, isn't it? You know, Greenwich is a bit mobbed. You sort of go, I'm just going to jump in the carriage and yeah. uh, head down to Elton for a bit, a bit of quiet time. King's Retreat, which was the name of the house we saw next to the palace, which seems like... A redundancy, really, didn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So it was built in uh, 1305, Steve, yeah? Yeah, that's right. Well, it was, uh, I think it was built before that, but gifted to the royals mm. in 1305, yeah. So at that point, it becomes officially uh, a royal palace. And then the area becomes, as I say, defined by the palace, and other mansions are built around it. So you get Avery Hall Park that's built, and then that becomes the site for Greenwich University. Oh, the Avery Hill campus, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, And then Well Hall House... Uh, is another large building to open. That becomes very important to the area and uh, the number of notable local citizens that live there at different points in the history. And then with the arrival of the railways, you get the development in a sort of commuter belt and suburban housing. Um, but again, it's sort of... So it's gone from palaces to mansions to normal housing. And then with the war, you get the building of the Hutman Estates, which were supposed to be temporary housing estates for workers at the local... Woolwich Arsenal to be able to commute too easily. So you, you get the area growing, expanding and filling out but each time uh, becoming more sort of accessible in terms of who can live there. So it starts off with a palace, some mansions are built, some suburban houses are built for businessmen who want to retreat and eventually housing estates are built that anyone can afford to live in. And with that you get the idea of modern Elton where you've got a selection of different forms of housing. Available. Got a McDonald's as well. Got it all. Dreamworld. So Henry VIII grew up there, in that castle mostly, did he? Yeah, yeah. We kind of talked a bit about it, didn't we, already on the Jubilee episode? Yeah. Talks about uh, Elton Palace quite a bit. Um, it fell into ruin by the sound of it, yeah. Yeah. And uh, John Evelyn, Evelyn, John Evelyn, who we mentioned um, in the Deptford episode. Yeah, was that last, week before last, whenever it was. But people don't have to think about it, it as week before last. They can just go to our episode, guys. Yeah. It's Thursday today, the day we're recording. Don't go to Elton Palace on a Thursday because it's not open. Doesn't matter what time of year you go. They've got a very handy seasonal guide as to what days and times to go to. But never is a Thursday uh, accessible. There's never a point with Thursday. It's a shame because it's only Monday to Wednesday, Stephen. You work on those days. So they wouldn't have made a difference. So we got there and we had a look over the gate. And there's a moat going around it, which is still quite spectacular, I think. Because how often do you see a moat? No, yeah. Um, So it did look, look great from outside. My sister, um, I think I might have mentioned in, in the Greenwich episode, she was looked at the Naval College to get married there and didn't because it was too expensive. And she was going to look at getting married at Elton Palace because many people do. But you're not allowed to serve red wine. And there was another rule. I can't remember what it was now. But Why no red wine? I don't know, man. 
Interesting. I thought you might be able to tell me, Steve. No, never, never heard that. Yeah, Eltham isn't on uh, the River Thames, but there is a river that runs through Eltham. Do you know the name of it? No. It's the River Quaggy. Right. Q-U-A-G-G-Y. Um, which is a tributary of uh, the River Ravensbourne, which obviously we talked oh, about yeah, recently okay, yeah. for the episode. Um, the River Quaggy is also known, or was uh, previously known as the Kid Brook, K-Y-D. Brook. Oh, and that's where we get the area of Kid Brook, which is next door. Absolutely. It all makes sense, doesn't it? Um, another sort of defining feature uh, of Eltham is uh, the abundance of sort of like open space. I mean, obviously, mm. that's a feature of most suburban areas. Yeah, the further out you go, yeah, yeah. yeah. But also, I think it's a legacy of um, the royal presence as well, isn't it? Where where the royals have been, you get, and particularly at the time of uh, sort of Henry VIII, uh, they would have preserved large areas for mm. hunting. So you well, protect... Henry VIII used to hunt deer around there, didn't he? Yeah. So they would protect the land and not let things be built on it, and that would that becomes almost like a legacy at that point. It's an interesting thing where. If you're ever going to say anything positive about the monarchy, it's that it's meant that we've got an abundance of we've got a sort of national parks program and uh, an abundance of sort of local parks and green spaces uh, that are really quite spectacular. Because you know people always talk about London being uh, a conurbation, this mad sort of urban sprawl, but it's, there's a tremendous amount of open space in London, I think. And, I've, and that is a legacy of... It'd be nice yeah. to think that we could have done it off our own backs. Yeah, only likes green spaces. <laughs> <laughs> right, so... Uh, it's not just the A-Court, Steve. There are some... Uh, now, there are some good uh, people from Elton. So... Steve, come on, get back with me. <laughs> Boy George... Boy George. Well, Boy George. It's I didn't really know, man. I wasn't quite well, sure. Boy George. There's a few um, things this is where the, this is the trouble, right? You end up pulling up people who are born in a certain place, and they weren't raised there. Like me, I'm from Walworth, right? And there's no doubt about that. That's where I, that's where I spent my whole life. Yeah. Same number, same hood. It's all good. <laughs> but adjoining like, like, roads, isn't it? Famously. Exactly. Yeah. But it will say Jack McEnroe, Brackets Dulwich. Yeah. So yeah. this is the thing when you're doing the research. So what were you going to say about Boy George? Elton claims him as a native, but then if you look at uh, Boy, George, Boy George's own Wikipedia page, it says uh, Bexley. Yeah. So it's this whole thing of, do you mean... And it's just it's just neighbouring areas, isn't it? Yeah. One that... person's Bexley can be another person's, you know... Am I from Penge or Annerley? You're not from either, are you? <laughs> <laughs> right, someone who definitely is from there, though. Steve Peregrine Took. Yeah, he definitely is, isn't he? Yeah. Although, obviously, that's not his real name. That's a Tolkien character. You know that, yeah? Yeah. Um, one half of uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex, who would later go on to be T-Rex. But, yeah, he was on the first three albums. Um, Deborah Deb, Deborah Deb. You know that one, Steve? Deborah Deb. Yeah. That's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, he was a percussionist. Mark Boland played guitar and sang. And, obviously, they went on. After he left, they went a bit... Uh, a bit more rock and roll, didn't they? It was a you know, uh, metal guru and um, 20th cent- 21st century boy. 20th century boy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 21st century boy is... Uh... So I think of 21st century schizoid man. Okay. Isn't there um, a placebo? 21st century something. So yeah, Alan White, right? 
brother of Steve White, who was in, uh, who's from Bermondsey. So I guess the family. Is obviously he in Ocean Colour Scene? Steve White. No, he's okay. in Paul Weller's band. Oh, uh, at Bart. Also, that he was Ocean in. Scene? Yeah, but there's a big crossover. He Not probably him. wasn't. No, no, no. He wasn't the drummer in Ocean Colour. I don't think so. That I'm pretty certain he wasn't. I thought the Ocean Colour scene were Paul Weller's band about Paul Weller. No, there's a bit and a bit not. Okay. You know, there's a crossover, a big crossover. But style, it was in the Style Council. But the thing is, most of the Style Council are from South London, so we'll probably come back to them at a later dates. So we won't dwell on Steve White now. Alan White, yeah, in uh, 1995, after Tony Carroll got fired from Oasis, they got uh, Alan White in to play uh, drums on What's Story Morning Glory and a the next few drummer. albums. Yeah, Isn't I mean, he? he is. He's kind of generally considered to be a better drummer. Yeah. But I always found the kind of the most memorable Oasis drum stuff is the intro to the two songs on definitely maybe the yeah, start sure. with the drums. Yeah. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Um, Supersonic. Yeah. And um, Live Forever. Yeah, Live Forever is one I was thinking of. And Live Forever is the video where uh, they bury him as well, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is great. So it's clearly done on a budget of like twelve pounds. And how much does a shovel cost? But yeah, we should get we should get Alan White on the show, Steve. Let's make that happen. If anyone knows Alan White, if Alan White's listening, yeah, probably isn't he. But yeah, Oasis is a funny one, isn't it? Because well, it's what I was talking about earlier. You know, bands that you loved, and now you sort of like I can't imagine a situation where I'm putting on an Oasis album. Yeah, I mean, obviously the later stuff was bad even at the time, but it's a difficult one with Oasis it's a, you know how people they, they say yeah the Goonies is great yeah and obviously <laughs> isn't it's obviously really rubbish but they they liked it as a kid and they formed their opinion of it then they're so ingrained in yeah. them and, and I feel like with Oasis it. like yeah. with like say definitely maybe in What's Story Morning Glory the two albums that are accepted to be good like if that had come along now and I'd had a different kind of uh, derivative, derivative rock band as a kind of big influence in my life as a teenager would I have listened to it? The answer's probably no, man. And also, but then you've still got the residual affection, like at the uh, closing ceremony for the Olympics when Liam came out. Yeah, I with... love Wonderwall. Wonderwall, I think, is, is great, man. Yeah. It's probably my favourite, man. Well, it is, yeah. It's, it's, I think it was Wonderwall that uh, Noel Gallagher was talking about. He said before about great songs. He said a great song could be sung by anyone. If a rubbish bus could sing a song, it still sounds good. Yeah, the weird thing about that is, though, when Noel Gallagher does the live version and he sings it it's not nearly as good as when his no, brother does no. less talented music star Steve Louise Redknapp knee nerding but she was only raised in uh, Elton she was born only in Louisville. raised in only formed in yeah so we're counting that man raised it's well, raised uh, isn't it are we, are we we're, we're not counting Kate Bush then nah because she's welling isn't she and yeah yeah but this is the trouble, isn't it, with all these people all these people kind of on the Surrey and Kent. I want to have the Rolling Stones, but <laughs> Dartford, isn't it? Yeah, the Rolling Stones are definitely too far out. There's no way we can claim them. Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Page, Epsom. Isn't that making a noise? Probably, I'll stop them. <laughs> no, you know, you'll be editing going, no, what, what were you doing while I was talking? I was like, ah, honestly, nothing. Uh, Jimmy you, Page, Epsom. Yeah, no, yes. not, he's kind of Epsom, not even close. Well, hello. Is that something come? Jackson's just come out to join us, my uh, young nephew. Was Jackson born in Elton? You're from, you're from Elton, aren't you? Jackson, come. Come and talk to us about Elton. Jackson, come. We need someone on the show from Elton. Rep your ends. What are you doing? You need to go wee-wee? Not in the barbecue. Do you need to go toilet? Uh, I don't know why I wrote all these notes about Louise Nerding. We're not going to talk about her, are we? 
Louise Redknapp. Yeah. Well, no, the notes came from when she was Louise Nerdin. 1998 FHM Hash- sexiest woman in the Hashtag world. Hashtag no Redknapp, wasn't it? No Redknapp. No Redknapp, yeah. <laughs> what, the overall uh, sexiest woman in the world? Yeah. It's always bizarre, though, isn't it? The Gillian is, Anderson. She, she's not... Uh, yeah, she's very good looking. Yeah, I always find with these things, it's never the, it's never my favourites. That Alison Felix. Yeah, I know what number is she coming in at? <laughs> nah, she's no Beyonce, but <laughs> like Gillian Anderson. Remember that? That was bizarre. What if Alison Felix listens to one episode and this is the one? You just broke her heart, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Alison Felix, Steve. Uh, an actor I really, really like a lot, Steve Delroy Lindo. But we've uh, got a bit of a special coming up on Del Rolindo in November, probably, for uh, to celebrate his 60th birthday. So we won't dwell on him now. And uh, Gavin Peacock. Worth a mention, if only because, as far as I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, the only professional footballer that plans to become a vicar in retirement, surely. No, to Rebo West. Oh, well, you know, he's, he's a pastor, isn't he? It's the same, then. Well, it's, it's sort of the same, but I think with Teribo West, I imagine Teribo West mostly wearing his own clothes uh, and just saying people go, I, I, I can pink, only imagine... Pink beads and braids. This, yeah, <laughs> but I can only imagine Gavin Peacock now in the full dog collar. Uh, Ga- Gavin Peacock won't be wearing braids, that's for sure. <laughs> and that's not a race thing, it's because he's bald. <laughs> Frankie Howard. But again, not born. But raised, though. Yeah, yeah. Lived here in. Thing is, Steve, uh, a lot of our years. listeners weren't born in South London, and they probably consider themselves to be South Londoners. And as we said before, uh, they're so, the people we want, isn't it? The people who define themselves as South Londoners. Yeah. But I think Frank, Frankie Howard Wood, he was from Yorkshire, and they're, they're mental about where they come from. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. If you if you hint to a Yorkshire person, they're not from Yorkshire. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, they, are they really going that mad for Frankie they, Howard? Though? Well, no, it's not that. But it's like you can imagine Frankie Howard sort of going, "No, no, Yorkshire born and bred." Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Have you worked on your fake out? No, no. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> I watched the first episode of Pompeii, Steve, just in case. Yeah. And uh, it's unwatchable, isn't it? It's, it's just him talking to the camera. It is, but... There was a character in it, in the first episode, called uh, Ludicrous Sexus. <laughs> but, you, but the thing you've got to understand is, at the time, no Mom, lie. Mum, he's breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> that would have been the funniest show on television, though, wouldn't it? Seriously. What, because the news was on the other side? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. It was that or the snooker, and snooker's great, but this is funnier. I'm a huge fan, Steve, of um, the royal family. Well, this is why you got the mug. Hey, R O Y L E. Yeah, gotcha. Just like it's just like it was like a window into my life a little bit. You know, just sitting around the telly. Particularly if we went to my nan's, for some reason, it just seemed to be because then you got the telly on, you got no bedroom, you go, so you yeah, just yeah. sit in the front room and like someone goes and makes the tea. But um, he calls his uh, Jim Royal calls his son Lurkio in it, and I never, I didn't know idea what it meant. I thought it was like some kind of play on Lurch. Yeah, because yeah. I was like, why is he calling him that? But that's his name in it, isn't it? Yeah, Frank Howard yeah. in uh, Up on Pay. You've got Hubert Bland and Edith Nesbitt. Edith Nesbitt, more famous as the writer of the Railroad Children, neither of whom were born in Eltham, but this is where they lived when they co-founded the Fabian Society, which was a massively influential uh, socialist group um, so you know we can sort of lay claim to the Fabians a little bit which is something I think yeah I've never heard about tell me about it Steve. it was basically a precursor to uh, the Labour Party and uh, oh, right. the sort of socialist movement uh, in the UK and it was essentially 
middle class informed people who knew of the writings of you know Marx and Engels and also just uh, you know other sort of key liberal works before that and just sort of were trying to make their influence known on uh, the government which at the time I say at the time was dominated uh, by the landed classes <laughs> in the year 2012 <laughs> when uh, we've got uh, uh, a country that's just being run by uh, some of the possibly the, possibly the scummiest politicians uh, this country's ever ever known yeah. seriously ever known mm. there were a time we had rotten boroughs that we didn't have politicians as bad as this I mean our prime minister is yeah. I'm going to do it this is a tangent rant so let's just stop it here but uh, yeah no, but essentially uh, they're throwing yeah. us all to the walls in these days yeah this is it you know they're um, using our bodies to climb over to uh, get through a recession mm. thanks for that <laughs> but um, yeah the Fabian Society shows that it's not necessarily uh, an issue of class because these people were uh, you know reasonably wealthy and well to do and I think there's an important point to be made uh, when we talk about come on talk about Bob Hope um, in terms of uh, approaches to uh, using your wealth and power, but we'll we'll come back to that. But yeah, the the Fabian Society, um, obviously, the majority of their meetings, whatnot, would have taken place in central London. It's the whole issue of the place of power being uh, on the other side of the river. But I thought it was interesting that these two sort of key uh, players in the movement uh, lived in Elton around the same time. Today we went to the new Bob Hope exhibition at the uh, Heritage Centre in Woolwich. The Greenwich Heritage Centre, but it's in uh, the Woolwich Arsenal bit. Um, Up by Firepower, which we visited for our uh, Woolwich episode. Yeah, and we actually went in the Heritage Centre. and we were, To be honest, I was a bit annoyed that I had to go back to Woolwich for a second time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's great. And it definitely goes to the exhibition. If you've got any interest in Bob Hope, and by the end of this episode, I'm sure you'll be all over him. Um, Go and have a look because it's fantastic. Woolwich yeah. Square as well is a public space in oh, it South is London. Great, yeah. Like the, I was waiting for you today, and so I had a chance to sort of wander around. Um, there was this big uh, free inflatable slide mm. that was fantastic. I didn't have a go; not allowed. <laughs> They've got this like um, almost as like a, a sort of tribute to the maritime origins. It's like a little water feature in the middle of the square, and like kids are just paddling through it. It's great. I went to the toilet, which I wouldn't normally mention. But they've got these remarkably advanced, too advanced for me, baffled me completely. You go to the toilet, as per, yeah? Mm. But then when you go to wash your hands, you put your hands under the first time, some soap is dispensed onto it, automatically. Oh, right. oh. So you, you sort of go, all right, and then suddenly the water starts. And you're like, oh, okay, I get it. And then the water stops, and the dryer starts, all out of the same... Uh, what if you have sensitive skin and you can only use certain soaps? That was the thing, that's what... Okay, there was a few yeah, things. You just sit your arm out and pull it out quickly. But then also, the thing was, when the the wind, the, the air started blowing to dry my hands, there's obviously still some water in the sink underneath, so it's like blown up. So it's not an ideal design, but it's like a real sort of... Yeah. It's sort of thing you see on tomorrow's world. You go, that's going to be great when it happens. It's also, sort of you see on looking around you. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, I didn't realise about what was going on. So as the air started, I like pulled my hand out. So it just went and it uh, stopped. So I thought, oh, it's the hot air bit at the moment. So I put my hands back in. Oh, and you got more soap. More soap. And the whole sequence had to start again. So I was like, uh, like okay, the so this time. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So I was like, this time, keep your hand in. But yeah, uh, well worth a visit to Pubs Oilers at Woolwich Square. Uh, on the bus trip as well, we kind of uh, went past the archery and shooting part of uh, Woolwich, the Olympics. We're, at the moment, we're between olympics and paralympics and uh yeah i mean we did the olympics episode not long ago and 
I almost regret doing it before the Olympics, Steve, because my opinion of things changed. But that's immensely. why it was good to do it, wasn't it? Yeah, I suppose. Get on we can record that then and sort of go now, you know, this is how we feel about it after. Yeah, the I just got I got really caught up in it much more than I was expecting to. I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I didn't watch. I mean, I was I watched a lot. Hour, I mean, I watched it every day. Some days I was watching it for hours. I didn't watch every single thing. There's certain events that I've, I'm not going to sit there watching swimming or. Uh, Horse, horses. I mean, there's sort of certain things where I do still think, you know, well, I kind of stand by some of the things I said. Like, you know, swimming. You know how many gold medals are available, Steve, for swimming 200 metres? It's just no. five it's for swimming 200 metres. Yeah, yeah. No wonder this guy, Michael Phelps, has got so many. Yeah. Obviously, he's the greatest swimmer of all time. No one's doubting that. But he's not. But he's, if you say who is the greatest Olympian. Yeah, he's not in my top 10. It, exactly. It does. It is subjective. People go, it's not subjective. Of course it is. Um,. But yeah, uh, I wonder if I can... I mean, obviously, I mean, I try and keep it South London, but just a quick mention for the uh, US uh, women's uh, 4x400 relay. Try and keep it South London, but then immediately go to... <laughs> ah, no, is but it like, Chicago Alison Felix is from? Um, I can't remember, man. Okay. Alison Felix and Sanya Richards-Ross, another one close to my heart. Alison Felix, of course... Uh... Arsenal fan, isn't she? A mad Arsenal fan. Oh, no, Loves the well, Gunners. Well, someone so... had to tweet me a picture of an Arsenal kit. Outrageous. <laughs> Outside the Emirates as well, isn't it? But I decided to let it go, man, because Jay-Z's an Arsenal fan, isn't he? And Spike Lee. But he's, it'd be much more sure as if he was a Brighton and Hove Albion fan, wouldn't it? <laughs> See, it's funny you should uh, point out swimming and uh, horse riding as things you do enjoy in the Olympics. Because the, I think the, the event I enjoyed most in the Olympics was the modern pentathlon, which is... Uh, which was in Greenwich Park. So. Which is in Greenwich Park, so it's legitimate to talk about it. Um, yes, yeah, remarkable event. Designed by uh, Baron de Corbatan himself. Uh, and he, he chose it uh, as an event that would showcase the attributes of a fine cavalry officer. So you have fencing, firing a gun, riding a horse, swimming and running. All in different combinations. Basically, you um, there's 36 competitors, so you go up and you fence 35 other people for a minute. And the first ones get a hit wins. Next. Mm. Then they go for a swim. Then they do the horse riding, which is possibly my favourite bit, because although I have no interest in watching uh, show jumping generally, um, with most show jumping, people have their own specific horses that they work with over a career to develop a relationship with. So they're very good at knowing exactly how to control these horses. These people are just given uh, a number, and they're given a random horse, given 15 minutes to walk around with it so that it's not going to kill them, and then set out on the thing. And they're just flying all over the place. They can't really... You know, it's Olympic level, so they're decent horse people but obviously that's the other thing as well with any sort of pentathlon or heptathlon or decathlon they have specialisms so there's some people who are in there because they're really good swimming and running they're not great horse people and they're just stuck on the back of a horse they've never really met before and setting off to compete in the Olympics it's remarkable really the uh, on that subject the um, do you know Damon Green the ITV uh, ITN whatever yeah South London as well yeah he uh Describe the triath the sprinting in the triathlon as like a caravan race. <laughs> yeah, some South Londoners representing one there as well. Um, you know, Martin Rooney did a bit yep. of running. Gemma Gibbons with her uh, silver medal. But yeah, just generally, I've just the fact that it was in not. I mean, the fact that it was in the city I live in did end up being relevant. You know, because like, if you if, if you get the, I didn't go up to, I didn't go out around those areas very much I mean, you know, you'd never go to Stratford would you but when I went past say Horse Guards Parade and you see all the paraphernalia and you just see these people the 70,000 volunteers just walking around in their uniform the whole time get changed at work man <laughs> you walk around with your accreditation man, you know, the whole time. <laughs> there was a guy right Steve I might have told you this already yeah Noodle City 
in uh, Canville Green. Yeah. Guys up at the window in the buffet, right, doing the buffet, serving themselves some Chinese in his Olympic uniform. <laughs> I mean, don't go out for dinner, innit? <laughs> They're proud. Proud of their colours, isn't it? They are proud. I, I had an interesting situation where halfway through the Olympics, I went over to Ireland to see my family. So I was watching the London mm. Olympics, being from London but not in London, which well, is very to, odd. Yeah, I was in Paris for uh, four days and... You know, we only had uh, we didn't have the twenty seven channels on the BBC, but I didn't have that anyway because I was just I couldn't really work out how to use the telly properly. Oh. So I generally just watched what they told me to watch, which was fine because <laughs> I don't I don't want to pick between all these sports. Just put pick one for me. I'll watch the, whatever the best athletics is at the moment. But yeah, in, in Paris, um, obviously they you know they're not as good at Olympics as us, are they? That's why I didn't get it. <laughs> Do you reckon it was the deliberate thing on the part of Paris? Yeah, they, they, they were like, we're not, we're not even going to acknowledge this. Is they, they just kept, no, but on the channel that was showing it, France One and France Two, um, they just kept showing handball because that's what they were in, or they would show basketball and and some guy doing the um, pole vault, just <laughs> cutting kind of between those three sports. <laughs> Put Jessica Ennis on. She'd already, she'd already, she was already done at that point. Yeah, yeah. Like Mo Farah or whatever. But yeah, the Mo Farah two races were just <sighs> extraordinary, weren't they? The first one in particular, where yeah, uh, after te- running like. Nine and a half thousand meters. He just like he just started Keeps sprinting, on. Yeah. getting faster, getting yeah. faster as he goes on. Amazing, and it really was a case of like where he's talking about the crowd lifted him over the uh, carried him over the line. It really did feel like that, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, like he just. Uh... I shouted at the telly, which I don't do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was well pleased, man. And I don't have any. Um, I don't even know who he was before the Olympics because I don't. I mean, I know he was, he's famous, but as I've said before, I, all my only memory of the Olympics in the past is watching the opening ceremony in 96 and watching Steve Redgrave in 2000. And maybe, I mean, I seem to remember Sally, Sally Gunner on the telly as a kid once, Linford Christie. <laughs> maybe that was 92. Maybe 92, it was probably, my dad probably watched it quite a lot that time. Right, but we must put the Olympics behind us, Steve, because I feel like I could just go on and on. Yeah. I, enjoy, I just end up enjoying it so much. And I do feel like I could watch athletics in the future. I just want every weekend to see another modern pentathlon, but I know it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And there's an issue about you know people sort of going the legacy of the games is people. I do want to get involved. I want to do a modern pentathlon, <laughs> but I can't do that. Can't, can't I? do any of those things. No, this is the thing. Like, I can I can go for you know I can't fe- I can't find 35 people to fence. I haven't got the equipment to fence straight away. It's gone. I can go for a swim. I can go for a run, but I can't run and then stop and shoot at a target every so often. No one's going to give me a random horse to ever go round a. There's, there are barriers, isn't there? To uh, mm. well, you've you been know. on holiday to Ireland, didn't you? There's no horses. And fencing, yeah, mostly. <laughs> so when you think uh, of South London, Stephen, the famous sons, you know, Bowie, uh, how many H? Jim Davidson. Jim Davidson. You don't really think of uh, Bob Hope, do you? No, he doesn't. News to me, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 1903, Bob, well, Leslie Towns Hope, born in Elton, 44 Creighton Road, where we were earlier today, when I had a look at the... Uh, Square blue plaque, but then whoever's living there now was selfish enough to be in the front room in it. Yeah, get and some neck curtains, man. If yeah. you're living in Bob Hope's old house, right? Get some neck curtains for crying out loud. Because <laughs> we were going to uh, record our instruction outside, but just thought it'd be too weird, and mm. they might think we're filming, and then it's not going to make them feel weird as well, isn't it? You don't want to make people feel uncomfortable at home. Yeah, it's not their home. It's Bob Hope's home. <laughs> but yeah, so he only lived here until he was four years old, man. They went over to, uh, they, you know. As he says, found that he couldn't be king, so he went to America. Yeah, he moved over to Cleveland, didn't they? But he sort of kept in touch, and he always sort of seemed to be 
happy to reference not only the fact he was from London, but specifically Ultima as well. He would yeah. sort of say to people, he, there's like footage at the exhibition we went to today of him addressing, it looks like a sort of like a presidential dinner. Yeah. And he's telling these assembled uh, American press and uh, actors. And he's like, yeah, I was from uh, Eltham in London. And they're all sort of like, I don't know what that is. Yeah. I don't know what that means. Um, yeah, I saw this uh, clip where he's saying, uh, someone asked him what it was like to be British. And he goes, oh, we weren't British. We were English. We couldn't afford to be British. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, so exactly. Yeah, drinking out of that cup. We'll, um, we'll get in a moment to his various trips to South London. But, I mean, there are probably people listening who don't even know who he is, Steve. Probably like... Uh, what? Well, he started off in radio, didn't he? Yeah, well, he started off as a kid, uh, busking, mm. essentially. D- doing uh, Chaplin impressions. Yep. And but, but even before radio, he did vaudeville as well. He was a very successful vaudeville performer. I mean, they had um, a couple of his, uh, essentially, payslips. And there's mm. one from, like, 1932 where he got $425 for a week's work. And you're like, that's incredible. Then in 1935, he's getting three and a half grand a week. It is uh, just mad amounts of money. Yeah, he was a big... He ended up as quite a big radio star, didn't he? Yeah. And then, uh, obviously, movie star is what he's most famous for. Comedy actor. Most famously, Steve, the Road 2 films. With Bing Crosby. Yeah, I remember as a kid, it seemed to be they were on weekly. I mean, what is that, about seven? Yeah. So that would have, you know... As a kid... They were among my favourite films. They yeah, were sort of like really destination viewing for me. If they were on, and this was obviously this was at a time, you know, for me even before uh, videos as well. Mm. So it'd be a case of two forty on a Sunday afternoon. So I'd have to be inside, and you know, it's a, a, a again as a young man or child, uh, <laughs> it's a, a one one television household. Yeah. So you might have to like make a you know negotiate with my sister, you know. Chuck my dad out who wants to watch uh, football actually horse racing probably well you see there wouldn't have been uh, it, what would have made it easier was like, it was very little on telly at the time you didn't have you know live football on a Sunday afternoon yeah I went back and watched a couple of them the first two and uh, quite amusing I mean he's he's just very a very very funny man isn't he yeah he's a natural uh, comedian I mean didn't write his own material had teams of writers uh, who worked him a different points of his career but in terms of uh, delivery mm. he was uh, unparalleled and it was, it was interesting as well um, you know as a, a, uh, a younger man it, it, as you grow up Bob Monkhouse uh, I always thought of as being mm. just uh, a terrible comedian really sort of poor but only quite recently I sort of realised I liked him a lot and I like that style of comedy I like very sort of slick and he based his entire career on Bob Hope, his style. And it was funny watching a lot of Bob Hope materials today. You sort of see where he lifted it from. It's very sort of slick and clean. There's almost a, a sort of mechanical aspect to it where these people know exactly how to deliver a joke. But quite a wit as well. I mean, uh, mm. on his deathbed, uh, his wife asked him where he was to be buried. And he said, uh, surprise me. <laughs> uh, that's, that is good. Oh and the odds of him commissioning uh, a professional joke writer <laughs> to go, just in case. Yeah, he lived to 100, didn't he? Yeah. Which is nice, man. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Who's in my garden? Marauders. It's fine, isn't it? Darren. Hi, Darren. How's it going? Make yourself at home, yeah? <laughs> Love you. 
I've, I've had a Pims, so. Uh, oh, nice. <laughs> and some mini Oreos, so mm. it doesn't get any better than that, does it? It's recording, by the way, Darren. Yeah. Probably so your last bag. Probably your last bag of mini Oreos We're as well. Doing an episode on Elton at the moment, talking about Bob Hope. Bob Hope, no hope. There's only one hope <laughs> in the world now. That's no hope. <laughs> so there's the open. How's work, Dan? Alright, I've got to go and pass a job up in half hour. Have you? Don't forget to mention me. I did. Already done it. You're yeah, the sponsor for this episode. Sponsor by Darren because he used he paid for the tea and coffee. So. <laughs> and the pins. And the pins. <laughs> yeah. Look at that. Got half, half a fruit bowl in there. <laughs> Where have you got to go? Sup, Kibrook. What else do I need to know that I've done already? Uh, we're not going to mention the 1972 train crash, are we, Steve? Nah. Louise. You're, not, you're still recording? Louise Redknapp was uh, raised around there, isn't it? Do you know where? No. Do you know? Do you, I know knew, you said it the other night. Oh, I did, didn't I? Where, whereabouts? I don't know. Oh. Frank Howard in it. Oh, no. Gavin Peacock. Who, Gavin Peacock. Who else? Uh, Bob Hope. Alan, Alan White Alan. from Oasis. No drama oh, yeah. for Oasis, yeah. I've got to go to Ballam on Saturday. Quite a job. Ballam's over the way for you, isn't it? Clapham way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 So, you know, drive. Half hour, 40 minutes, is it? The exhibition was uh, brilliant, wasn't it? Really good. Yeah, fantastic. Just the range of stuff they've got, the amount of stuff they've got, and also the presentation as well. It's one of those things where you're never quite sure when you go to like something done in a local centre. It can you could go in there and think it could just be sort of pin boards with uh, just photos clipped onto it, but this was you know, yeah, this together. wooden panelling and stuff, really nice. Lots but of it, screens as well, and I think that's important for, for a performer. You're seeing in perform as well. Yeah, audio and video. Yeah, yeah most definitely. Um, highlight, Steve. His Oscar is there. Yep. With wear around the legs, where it looks like he's just not let go of it for like 24 <laughs> years. Um, loads of other awards, stacks of awards. Photographs CBE. with uh, every president, uh, 11 presidents. He uh, described it as serving under, I guess. He was like, uh, you know, as America's national comedian. Got uh, a $10 bill signed by Richard Nixon. Did you see that? I didn't see that. Yeah, no. yeah. Um, yeah he was mates with them all, wasn't he? Jason, come here and say <laughs> something for the podcast. Explain to the listeners what it's like to grow up in Eltham. Come here and summarise your experiences for us. Learned there that he went to the royal, uh, the, I said the royal wedding to uh, Queen, <laughs> Queen Elizabeth and the Duke of Edinburgh. Well, uh, the Queen, it's one of those things where people go, oh, the Queen was a big fan. And people say that and you're never quite sure if it's true or whether they're trying to make the Queen out to be mm. a human being. They, um, they had footage of uh, him performing in the United States when they came over to give him his uh, award. Yeah, the American... Uh, the- British Embassy in um, yeah, Washington was, was presidential there. dinner with uh, president at the time and uh, Bob Hope doing gags and they cut to the Queen laughing mm. and it's uh, she might as well be slapping her thigh Steve it's unbelievable it's the most human never I've seen ever the seen a look laugh like that yeah yeah it's clearly a genuine laugh and like every other thing at uh, Royal Variety Awards are clearly her just uh, being polite yeah I highly recommend it if you're a fan in any way it's on to the 28th of October and it's on Tuesday to Saturday 10 to 4.15 don't go on Mondays important to get your days right yeah so if you want to go to the uh, Elton Palace as well Tuesday or Wednesday but yeah it's linked to the uh, World Golf Hall of Fame so obviously he was a keen golfer yeah loved uh, golf and played with 11 different presidents they had a great photograph of uh, a foursome 
which is him, Gerald Ford, Bill Clinton, and uh, George Herbert Walker Bush. And uh, even more impressive, him with uh, Charles Barkley and uh, Michael, Michael Jordan. Jordan. Yeah, yeah, they had uh, uh, golf clubs that he'd owned, including the one that he would take on his USO tours. He was a prolific uh, performer for the United States overseas. He was doing shows in Vietnam and Korea at the height of the conflict as well, uh, and was named. Um, as the US's first honorary uh, veteran. He was sort of given veteran status within the United States Army, which is quite a, you know, an honor. But it you know, I was thinking about it earlier in terms of Jackson, if you're going to talk, come and talk on the show, yeah. Come. What you got? Oh wow. Ah, stone and a cone. This Christmas from Argos, isn't it? <laughs> Let's <laughs> get the golf ball out of there. I can't even that. imagine what it would have been like growing up with a garden. With all this as well, isn't it? Yeah. That's the sort of thing, like, you go to nursery, you go to primary school, and there's just a fight for it in there. There's like 10 kids. He's like a young Henry VIII. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, Stephen Colbert took one of Bob Hope's golf clubs with him when he did a USO tour. And we were talking earlier about Louis C.K. doing as well. And it's an odd thing where. For comedians who don't necessarily support these conflicts, who are going out there to perform, it must be an odd sort Ooh, of dichotomy. Yeah, I mean, for you know, you you would guess with Bob Hope he did support. Yeah, I, I mean, if he's if if you sort of mates with Nixon, yeah. I mean, that's not going to his politics. Yeah, well, the, the thing about Bob Hope is it seemed. I mean, if you're a rich guy, right? If you're filthy rich. I suppose you don't need to like you don't need to worry too much about. Well, he he seemed to uh, he he would have as much time and affection for uh, Democrats and Republican presidents. He just he he seemed very much pleased with the fact that he'd made it to a level where his friends were in that sort of office. So that seemed to be his. It didn't seem that he had any sort of particular affiliation. And it's interesting. A lot of his kids have gone into working in politics, and they've worked for both. Um, Republican and Democrat uh, presidents. Mm. So it's clearly a whole thing about loving the office, the office of the president rather, rather than, the, than uh, the individual who's uh, there at the time. Yeah, there's a Reagan bust in, uh, in the exhibition as well that he was awarded that few other people were awarded. Margaret Thatcher, I think. <laughs> so all kind of prestigious names. Hi, Anna. Hi. Just say hello to Jason Cobb. Hi, Jace. <laughs> <laughs> There's some great footage of uh, Bob Hope uh, coming over to uh, the UK. Uh, came over many times because he had the golf tournament he used That's to right. play, yep. um, which wasn't in South London, but he no. sort of regularly made trips over. Uh, and he went to Clubland, uh, which is the youth club, um, which we've mentioned before, connected to Woolworth Methodist Church on Graven Terrace, uh, where famously Michael Caine learned acting. <laughs> Michael Caine and, learned uh, acting. And Robert Kennedy made his first ever speech in public, of course. So another yeah. presidential tie to the place. Uh, and Bob Hope went there and uh, you know did a, said a few words, and he donated all of his uh, the money he raised on that tour and his time in England to Clubland, which was I think it was fifty eight thousand pounds. So. And then years later, there's a, a, he's back in London again for some other reason. Look, it looks like the Royal Variety performance, something like that. And Michael Caine's doing a speech. Um, 
and he's saying now, you know, he was in the crowd at Clubland. Did you watch this, yeah? No, no. Yeah, he, um, he sort of does his speech like, you know, there was a kid in the crowd who uh, had to come up, he was very nervous, had to do a speech, and thank you for coming, Bob Hope, and that was me. So, Michael. like, you know, yeah. Bob Hope meets a, a, a young Michael Caine. Uh, he also uh, went back to his childhood home. There's some footage on the ITN archive website of him standing in the garden at uh, 44 Creighton Road. And, yeah, while he was over in 1980 for his uh, the Bob Hope, Bob Hope Golf Tournament, um, it was brought to his attention that the the Elton Little Theatre where Jude Law uh, learned acting was losing money. Uh, and it, he donated. It, that's well, it was he, under threat of closure. The people who owned it were happy to sell. They were, were actually refusing to extend the lease on the theatre at the previous rate, and were basically looking to sell it probably to a supermarket, or whatever you imagine. But fortunately, Bob Hope stepped in and donated his earnings from the tour and the tournament to uh, buy out the lease or buy the freehold. So now the theatre's owned entirely independently. Yeah, and renamed the Bob Hope Theatre a couple of years later. I thought uh, it was interesting. He did point. a performance there, did you know? Yeah, yeah. And also Gerald Ford spoke. <laughs> really? I didn't yeah. know that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just in the background, Jackson is... <laughs> he's, uh, he, he's got a like the McQueen uh, toy car, right, you know, that you sit in and drive. And he's cleaning it with um, <laughs> a tea cloth that he's dipping into a potty full of rainwater. <laughs> <laughs> it's working. Yeah, he's got a work ethic, hasn't he? <laughs> that car's never looked cleaner. That's really. a, he's using an oven mitt. Yeah. No, right don't now. drink the water, Jackson. <laughs> no, Jackson. So this I, would have been Bob Hope, Steve, as a toddler <laughs> in Elton drinking exactly. rainwater. But he became an American citizen, didn't he? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. I went looking for through his filmography to see if he ever filmed anything in South London. Or if he ever played or about a South, South London, London. Yeah, right? Yeah. And I mean, he was playing Bob Hope mostly, so yeah, the way exactly, he wants. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he didn't really. But there are two things, two films that sort of almost that sort of touch on that. You know, he almost plays the South London and films in South London, right? Fancy Pants, nineteen fifty. Interestingly, right in the t- in the uh, credits, it says starring Mr. Robert Hope brackets formerly Bob. Like so he tried like some kind to, of joke uh, where it's just not, but it, yeah. not accurate. It's him and Lucille Ball, and uh, formerly Leslie as well. It's not like Bob yeah. is his uh, real name. Um, and it's uh, a western, right? That starts in England, yeah, uh, on a cricket field just outside London. But just it's one of those things where just looking at the trees, you can see it's nowhere near London. <laughs> it's not in England. It's just these massive these palm like, trees. Really high, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> In the film, he plays an American actor who is playing the role of an English butler. And then he follows Lucille Ball uh, back to um, the West. And he's mistaken for um, an English aristocrat, uh, an earl. And he sort of pretends to be an earl, so like he's the American actor. With hilarious consequences, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It wasn't very good. I only watched half of it. Um... There's some reference to a watery grave in the Thames. But he doesn't do a very good English accent. It's <laughs> all over the place. It's Scottish almost at one point. You haven't seen that? No. Right, the other film is uh, The Iron Petticoat, which is partly filmed in London. But as you'd expect, Steve, it's only exteriors. And it's only Piccadilly Circus and Trafalgar Square. The classics, isn't it? Mm. Establishing shots. Where are we? 
and it's also not very good but yeah there's sort of Buckingham Palace or whatever and they stay at the Palmwell Hotel which I don't think exists and it's definitely a set so never filmed in South London never played in South London but you know he is uh, one of our greatest sons Thank you.